Well, good morning, Harvest family. We're so glad that you're joining us for worship today. And for all of our guests and friends, family that are joining us online, man, we're so glad that you're with us as well. And uh, it's been great to get together this morning again and just worship Jesus and lift his name high uh, together. Now we want to continue to worship him through the study of his word. So grab your Bibles with me. And we want to go to Acts 16 this morning. Um, It's been so awesome just to work through the book of Acts this year. And it's been uh, really cool to me to see how God has just met us time and time again in the book of Acts. And he's used all these different chapters and all these different stories in Acts to to meet us right where we were at and just to speak a a good word to us as a church. And I believe that this next section of Acts is going to do the same thing for us. So today we're starting a new section, a new sub-series in the book of Acts called Jesus is Bigger. We're going to look at how Jesus is bigger than everything in this life, everything that comes against us, everything we struggle with, everything that we have to wrestle through, everything in our lives. Jesus is bigger than all of that, and he has the answers for us. And so we're going to, we're going to see that through this uh, series. And uh, I know today we're going to be looking at Jesus is bigger than my plans. And this has been super helpful to me this week. I Hopefully it will be helpful to you as well as we press into this together. So Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 15 is what we're going to be looking at this morning together. So anyone who knows me well knows that I'm a planner, right? I have work plans, I have family plans, I have vacation plans and financial plans. I even have plans for my plans, my wife would tell you. And, um, but one of the things that I've noticed, maybe you've noticed this in your life as well, is that too often it seems like my plans and God's plans don't always line up. They, they don't always hit the same marks. In fact, it's, sometimes it's hard for me to see from my perspective that God really has a plan at all. Like it seems like he's just doing things haphazardly, and I can't see how it all fits together. But I once heard a pastor talk about God's plans and God's sovereignty um, uh, as a tapestry. So let me kind of give you this illustration for a second here. So just imagine that God is weaving this eternal tapestry um, throughout all of time. He's working at the loom, and he is putting every string into its perfect place and just making this beautiful, glorious tapestry throughout history through his perfect plan. And if we could see the top of that tapestry, if we could see it from God's view, it would look perfect and glorious and it would be, the picture would be clear. But unfortunately, we don't see it from the top because we're not God. We see it from the bottom. We're underneath the loom. We're looking up at the back of the tapestry. And if you've ever seen the back of a tapestry, it looks a lot different. There's strings going every which way and there's colors meshing together and there's strings that are just kind of hanging here and there. And it looks like a hot mess on the back, and you can't really make out the picture hardly at all. And that's our view oftentimes of God's plans. It looks like a big mess, and we don't understand it. It's not, there's not some discernible plan to it. It's just, it's just a mess instead of a masterpiece to us. And when we look at it like that, and we can't see God's plan, we want to reach up. We want to try to, to, to move the strings and replan it and change it and fix it. And as we try to do that, we just make it oftentimes a bigger looking mess to us because we can't see what God can see. We can't seem to make sense of it on our own. And I think the reason that that reality exists is because what we're going to see in this passage today, that my plans for Jesus are never as good as his plans for me. My plans for how things should work and how it should go, my plans for how Jesus should function in my life is never as good. It's never as uh, grand as Jesus' plans are for me if I will just take and embrace those. So I want us to look at that today, especially through the story of Paul, and I want to kind of put this banner over it. What do you do when God's plan doesn't make sense? 
right? When, when it doesn't seem to fit together, when we can't make sense of what God is doing, what do we do? As people, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet. Maybe you're still trying to check out this whole uh, Christianity thing, and, and that's fine. We're glad you're here. Uh, but, but what do we do when God's plan doesn't make sense? I think we can find three steps here to respond with through Paul's story. So start with me in verse 6 of Acts 16. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the first thing we see here is when God's plan doesn't make sense, number one, quiet down and listen closely. We have to quiet down and listen closely. So we're picking up in this story, kind of in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. He's on this path to, to encourage churches and to spread the gospel. And, and at this point in the journey, Paul's plan A is to take the gospel to Asia. Now, it's not Asia like we think about Asia today. It's, it was a region that they called Asia back then. Um, I've actually got a map here I'm going to kind of show you. So he started over here in Antioch, right? And from there, they traveled through uh, the cities that he had previously planted churches on in his first missionary journey, like Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and they end up in Antioch, Poseidon. So now they've uh, visited all the older churches, and they're ready to go into a new area and plant new churches and reach new people. So they want to go to Asia, which is this area right here to kind of the southwest of where they're currently at in Antioch, Poseidon. It's full of cities, full of people, lots of opportunities. But it says here that Jesus, or that the Holy Spirit uh, blocked them, right? From, that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit of going into Asia. So they said, no, you're not going that way. So then Paul's like, okay, well, I guess if we can't go to Asia, instead of going southwest, we'll go north. And they headed up towards Mycenae with the plan to go to Bithynia, another region here that you can see on the map in the northern part of the area. So they're going to go evangelize that. But they get there, and it says that Jesus told them, nope, not going there either. And so he blocks Bithynia. So at this point, Paul's plan A was go evangelize in Asia, right? That's what Jesus told him to do was to make disciples of all nations. So he's going to go to Asia. And then the Holy Spirit says no. Okay, fine. Plan B, we'll go to Bithynia. Get up there. Jesus says, no, we're not going there either. And so now, I imagine Paul's getting kind of frustrated, right? Like, this is the first time he's really had to deal with these kind of closed doors with the Lord. And so he's like, all right, fine. If we can't go southwest, if we can't go north into Bithynia, then we'll just keep going west through Mycenae. And they ended up in Troas, which you can see from the map, is on the very edge of the continent there and is basically on the sea. So they've now come to a dead end. Troas is the last stop before they hit the water. And so at this point, Paul's saying, all right, God, what do you want from me? Do you want me to get on a ship and go back home? Like, where are we going? Like, what what do you want from us? This was a very unique situation for Paul, an unusual situation of where he didn't know what was next and these doors were closing and he's waiting for God to give him some direction here. So that night in Troas, he gets a vision from a man of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, as you can see here on the map, is on the other side of the water. And this was a short distance away, but it was a big difference because they have currently been working in the general area of Asia, which was one culture, and now Macedonia is across the water into what we would call the section of Europe at this time, 
with the European culture. So different culture, different customs. They were closer to Rome. So there, there would have been less Jews, um, less influence of, of what Paul knew from his background. So kind of getting outside of his wheelhouse a little bit. But this man says, come across the waters to Macedonia. And that's where God is calling Paul. He says, come to Macedonia and help us. And that word help us there is really just telling him that we need the gospel. We need salvation. Come and give us some spiritual help. And so God finally follows up all of his no's to Paul with a yes. He finally says, not here, not here, not here, here. And God speaks to Paul in this unusual situation in a very unusual way, giving him some new unusual wisdom, which is leave Asia and go to Europe and hit Macedonia. So now this becomes Paul's plan C is to go to Macedonia. But interestingly enough, even though it's Paul's plan C, it was always God's plan A. By the way, all of God's plans are A plans. I don't know if you figured that out yet, but God only has one plan, and that's plan A, and that's always the plan that we end up on, and so it's good for us to figure that out and get there. So it says here, they immediately sought to go to Macedonia because God had spoken. This is what Christians do. When God speaks, we move, right? That's, that's, the, that's the way this relationship works. He's in charge, we're following. But here's the key to the whole thing. In order for me to move, I have to know what God has said. In other words, I can't follow Jesus if I can't hear Jesus. It starts with listening. And most often when Jesus' plan doesn't seem clear to us, or it doesn't make sense, it's because we aren't listening. And oftentimes we can't hear or listen because either A, we're too rebellious, B, we're too busy, or C, we're too distracted. Those aren't the only reasons, but they're very common reasons. So let's just kind of dive into those for a second for you to maybe assess yourself. If you're having a problem hearing God's voice and knowing God's plan right now, maybe one of these is the reason why. So why can't I hear Jesus? Number one, are you, are you rebellious? Are you living for sin? Is there some pattern of a cycle of sin in your life that you're continuing to hold on to, that you're refusing to confess, confuse, uh, refusing to repent of? Is there, is there some sin that you won't let go? Because when that is the case, I can't hear Jesus' voice because I'm opposing him. That's what sin is. It's opposition. It's rebellion against God. And if I'm doing that, I cannot hear what he's trying to say to me. So the first one is rebellion. The second option why I can't hear, God, hear Jesus is busyness. Are you too busy? Are you living for success? And some of you are thinking, well, Micah, I'm not busy at all right now. I'm sitting at home um, not working, kids are home from school, we're watching Netflix, not going to ball games, not doing anything. We're not busy at all. And that may be true in the moment, but are you filling your time with other busyness? Did you find some new project to work on around the house? Or are you busy with, you know, um, figuring out the next thing for your family in terms of entertainment or like whatever? Are you busy with other things? Are you filling your time looking to succeed, looking to do something in some other direction. Because if I'm busy with work, or if I'm busy with ministry, or if I'm busy with something, some other task at hand, I don't leave any space and time to be quiet and stop and listen to what God has to say. I'm just busy. A lot of times that can keep me from hearing Jesus' voice. The third thing why I can't hear Jesus might be you're distracted. Are you distracted? Are you living for self? 
Sometimes I can't hear the voice of Jesus because I'm filling all the empty space in my life with distractions, with entertainment, with sports, with, um, with fun things that I like to do, things that are, 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 are bring joy to me in some way, and I, or games I'm having to play, or movies I'm having to watch. Are you constantly filling your empty space with entertainment and things that are just distractions from life? Or are you distracted by your worry and your fear? If I'm constantly distracted in life, then again, I don't have any time or space to listen and hear the voice of Jesus. So are you rebellious? Are you busy? Are you distracted? Are these things blocking you from hearing his voice? Because I cannot hear Jesus' plan until I am still and quiet enough to hear Jesus' voice. I cannot hear Jesus' plan until I'm still and quiet enough to hear Jesus' voice. And we all need that if we're going to follow his plan. We need to hear from him. So, you know, we've been in quarantine or self-quarantine or whatever you want to call it for a while now. And I'm pretty sure quarantine has broken my kids. Like, uh, you know, the first week, we, they were on spring break anyway, so it seemed kind of normal. They were supposed to be at home. The second and third week, it was this new online school thing, which was novel enough that it kind of kept things you know, on the rails. But the last two weeks, like week four and five, it's just like devolved into Animal House around our place. I don't know if anybody else is feeling this, but quarantine has definitely broken my kids in like three different ways. Number one, it's broken their internal clocks, right? Their sleep schedules are off. Their eating schedules are off. They don't even know what day it is half the time because their clocks are just all broken. Um, It's also broken their stomach size, (laughs) They are just eating nonstop. We can't keep, when they're not eating, they're talking about eating, and they're like little garbage disposals. We can't keep enough food in the house right now, it doesn't seem like. And then thirdly, and most importantly, or most um, noticeably, it's broken their volume regulator. Like, I don't know what's happened, but somehow their volume has just gotten turned up to 10, and the knob got, like, broken off. They are, they are so loud all the time. And it just never stops. And so Courtney and I, man, it's gotten where we can't, it's gotten so bad we can't even hardly communicate with one another, right? We're, we're trying to have conversations and we can't even hear our own voices over some of the noise. It's like one of those old silent movies, you know, where you see their mouth moving, but there's no sound, like there's no words coming out. All you hear is the organ in the background. And right now the organ is just kids screaming. That's pretty much what it's turned into. It's just communication by lip reading. That's pretty much all we've got now. Um, I wonder if sometimes... That's how Jesus feels with us. How often is Jesus speaking to us, but we never hear him because of all the noise in our life? Maybe it's the constant humming of, that humming whisper of sin in your heart. Maybe it's the frantic screaming voice of busyness. Maybe it's the internal monologue of distraction. With all that noise, it's amazing that we can ever hear or discern the voice of Christ. So we have to stop. We have to listen. We have to get quiet before the Lord. And if we're going to hear what he has for us. But it not only requires quiet and listening, it also requires knowing what to listen for. Sometimes we can hear from voices, we can hear different things in our life, but we, how do we know it's from God? How do we know it's not just our voice or somebody else's or something that's going to lead us astray? And so again, here from Paul's example in this passage, I think we see three specific ways that we can discern God's voice. So let me just give these to you briefly as well. To discern God's voice, number one, don't just react to the negative, wait for the positive. In this passage, Paul gets a double guarantee from God, right? He says, no to this, no to this, and then yes to this, right? 
When Paul got the no's, he didn't automatically try to force something and go do, like, a lot of times when, when God says no to us on something, when we, we feel like something is a block in our, in our path, sometimes we can try to force it, and we get so frantic that God closes a door, we jump out the window. <laughs> and that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to wait, not just for the no, but also for the yes. Don't quit. Don't retreat. Don't give up. Don't bail. Don't force it. Just wait for God's redirection, because he'll follow up the no with a yes. A negative and a positive gives us a clear direction from the Lord. Number two, don't just look at isolated events, but look at the collective journey, right? So Paul starts off on this missionary journey, and when he gets the vision to go to Macedonia, he doesn't let that one incident, that one isolated event of a vision in the middle of the night tell him, okay, I'm definitely supposed to go. He collects that with everything else that's happened. He knows he's on a missionary journey to share the gospel. He knows he's trying to, that he's called to go to new places with the gospel. He knows he's been blocked from going to Asia and Bithynia. And now he gets this vision to go to Macedonia. So we put all that together and Paul has a clear direction as what God wants him to do. So what's this mean for you and me? It means don't jump to conclusions every time there's a curveball in your life. Just because one isolated event happens that derails what you were planning, don't think that means you have to suddenly jump ship and completely change course. Wait to see and look back at everything that's brought you to this point because God doesn't waste a single step in our lives. Everything that happens to us, every step we take, is a collective journey that God's using to lead us to his plan. So when something happens, when a change comes, you need to ask yourself, what else has led up to this moment? What else has led me to this point of change and so I can discern where God's leading me as a whole on this collective journey? So not just the negative, but look for the positive. Not just an isolated event, but the collective journey. And number three, don't just trust your own understanding, but seek the wisdom from godly counselors. Right here, you got the Apostle Paul, right? This guy's a pretty big deal. Like he, like he probably has a direct line to Jesus at this point. But nonetheless, when he gets this vision, he doesn't just make the decision on his own. It says that he decided with his team. He goes to Silas and Timothy and even Luke now, who has joined them as we get the we language showing up here in Acts. And he, they decide collectively, yet, yes, this is what God is calling us to do. You see, I've said this before, no one preaches to you more than you do. The voice that you hear more than any other voice, the loudest voice in your life is your own voice. And because of that, it's a very real reality that we can oftentimes trick ourselves into thinking things or get into tunnel vision where it's just our thinking. And that is a dangerous trap. Proverbs 15.22 says that without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. God wants us to seek godly counsel from those that he's put in our life. And when we get a message that's confirmed by other godly brothers and sisters, then we know this is from the Lord. This is something we can listen to and follow on. So to discern God's voice, look at the, not just the negative, but the positive. Not just isolated events, but the collective journey. And not just your own thoughts, but get godly counsel around you. And then you'll be ready to move into God's plan. So to understand Jesus' plan, I have to quiet down and listen closely. Think about that for your life right now. What has God recently done to interrupt your plans? I'm sure we can probably think of many things. There's a big one for all of us, but maybe there's a smaller one in your life as well. How has God interrupted your plans? And then what steps can you do to take uh, to to better hear from the Lord 
and to discern God's plan in this area of your life. Right? What, what, what can, how can you apply these things of listening to God better and then discerning his voice to know what steps are next, what plan is next for you in, uh, in, with him? I want you to think about that and discuss that in your small group this week. So that's the first thing, is stop, um, quiet down and listen closely. But there's a second step. Let's go to verse 11 now. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So not only do we need to listen, quiet down and listen closely, we also need to, number two, when, we, when God's plan doesn't make sense, number two, hold fast to clarity. Hold fast to clarity. So in verse 11, Luke starts into kind of this urgent travel itinerary, right? He's like, immediately we sought to go there, and there was a direct voyage, and then the following day, and from there to Philippi, and he's given us this sense of urgency, that, man, they had heard from God. They had clarity now on come to Macedonia, come. And so they were going to go in haste, right? So they are hurrying to Macedonia because of the clarity they've received in this vision. And when they get to Philippi, it says they remained in the city for some days. So their clarity of come got them to go there urgently. That was their part. And now they have to wait on God to show up and do his part. And we find out here that Philippi is a Roman colony which means it would have been like a special city in the Roman Empire that would have had special rights and privileges. It would have been full of Roman soldiers and, and, and people and, and probably not many Jews, probably not a synagogue at all. So this was very much outside of Paul's wheelhouse. His normal MO was go to the city, find the synagogue, preach to the Jews, and then move out to the Gentiles. But he doesn't really have that option here. So he gets there and he just kind of patiently waits for the Lord because he has clarity on come and he has clarity on Macedonia. I'm supposed to be right here. So he gets there and he waits to hear the next step. So finally, Sabbath comes along, and there's no synagogue, but they find out there's a place of prayer outside the city by the river. And they go there, positioning themselves to meet with God's people and to hear God's voice. And they want to know what God has for them next. And they get there, and it says that it was a place that there were women at this prayer meeting. No men, evidently, just women. Which is a little strange, because I thought, didn't the vision say, wasn't the vision a man? Wasn't it a man saying, hey, Paul, come to Macedonia, help us out? There was no women in the vision. It was just a man. And sometimes people would get really stuck on that and be like, hey, you know, where's the man? Leave the women alone. Like, don't mess with them. You need to find this guy that called you to Macedonia. But Paul doesn't think that way. Paul doesn't get hung up on his own interpretation of the vision or of, you know, trapped in some personal expectations of what, how this is going to work and what it's going to look like. He trusts the Lord with that, and he sticks with the clarity of what God said not what he thought God meant. That's an important distinction. The Pharisees missed the Messiah, the one they'd been waiting for for generations because they had certain expectations for what Jesus was supposed to look like and do and act, and he didn't meet their expectations even though he clearly met the word of God. And they missed the Messiah because of it because they were focused on their expectations and not on the clarity of what God had said. But Paul knows what God said. Go to Macedonia and help the people share the gospel, make disciples of all nations. That's what God has said. And so Paul finds some women who are willing to listen to the gospel. He's like, you said all people. These are people. <laughs> I'm going to share the gospel with them. And so he does. 
because he has clarity on what God's called him to do. This is an important step here for, I think, for us as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we're in this kind of limbo state where we're waiting on God to show us the next thing and we don't know what to do. Let me, let me share this with you. When you don't know what to do next, return to what he told you to do last. When you don't know what to do next in the plan, in the next step for God, return to what he told you to do last. He's told all of us, he's given all of us some clarity on what we're supposed to be doing right now. We need to keep doing that until he shows us the next thing. A great example of this in the Bible is actually King David. King David was one of the greatest men uh, in the Old Testament in terms of being used by God. But before he was King David, he was this poor little shepherd boy in Bethlehem. Right? He was the runt of the family. Like Nobody thought much about David. And then Samuel, the prophet, shows up, and he anoints David as the next king of Israel. What? Like, what? Okay, awesome. Let's do this. But then right after he anoints David, Samuel leaves. And nothing else happens yet. And so David... He goes back to tending the sheep. He goes back out in the field and serves his family and serves the Lord by tending to his sheep. He didn't get upset with God's timing. He didn't get it, try to force God's plan and run up to Saul and say, all right, I'm, give me the crown. It's my turn now. He waited on the Lord and he kept doing what God had already given him clarity to do, which was be a shepherd. And then a little while later, his dad comes to him and says, hey, I need you to do a door dash up to your brothers. Uh, they're on the front lines of the army. They need some food. And so he sends him up to uh, meet his brothers and to uh, give them some food. And he gets there, and there's this giant that's challenging Israel, and everybody's scared of him. And so David says, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll fight him. And God, with David, goes and slays the giant, and they get victory, and he delivers Israel from defeat and from discouragement and from disgrace. Like, surely this is David's moment. Right? He's just defeated the biggest threat in the land. He's at the, he's at, everybody knows his name. He's at the top. This is his chance to step into kingship. But no, it's not. God's not ready for that step yet. So David goes back. He kills a giant, and he goes back to serving in the king's court and just being a part of the normal army and nothing exciting yet. And then finally, finally King Saul dies, which means now it's David's turn to be king, and so David returns to Judah, his homeland, and they anoint him king of the tribe of Judah. But the other 11 tribes of Israel anoint Abner, who was Saul's commander-in-chief in the army. They anoint him as king over the other 11 tribes of Israel. So David's only got Judah. And so these people are now in clear opposition to God. God said it's supposed to be David. They chose Abner. This isn't going well. So surely David should go defeat him, right? David should go and take charge and, and take control of his throne but God doesn't tell him to do that. Instead, David serves as the king of Judah for seven and a half years before God gives him the full kingdom of Israel. What I love about these examples is that David never rushed ahead of the Lord. He never tried to grab control of the plan. He never tried to force God's hand. He simply stuck to what God had made clear for him in that season of life, and he kept doing what God had given him to do until God opened up the next door. So often, when we don't see the next step, we want to force it. We want to run ahead. We want to try to press God into doing something new for us instead of just waiting and trusting on him and continuing to do what he's already given us to do instead of sticking with the clarity of what he's already tasked us with right now. But that's what we got to do. That's what Paul's doing here. To understand Jesus' plan, I have to hold fast to what he has already made clear. 
what has Jesus already made clear to you? What roles, what positions, what, what has he already clearly called you to be doing right now? What about in your family? As a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a child? Like what, what has God already clearly called you to be and do there? What's, what's he already called you to clearly do as a church member? As a community member to reach others? As a, as a Christian? He's already given us some clear marching orders in all these areas, and we need to be doing that. So spend some time this week thinking about what has God already clearly given you to do and press into that while you wait on the next step from him. But then there's one more step that we see here in this text that we can follow when we don't understand God's plan. Look at verse 14. It says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, and from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her, her, her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the third thing is, when God's plan doesn't make sense, step number three, step into unforeseen opportunity. Step into the opportunity. Right here, Paul shares the gospel, and Lydia hears it. The Lord opens her heart, and she gets saved and baptized. This is one of the best ways that I know to make sense of God's plan, to figure out where God's already working and just get involved there. Right? God was already working on Lydia's heart. He was already opening her up to the gospel. Paul saw that, and he just got in on the action. And Lydia becomes a very important person in Paul's ministry. She becomes what we call a person of peace. She was already a worshiper of God, which means she loved God. She was for this mission. She was a seller of purple, and purple was a very expensive dye. So if you were selling goods made out of purple, you would have been very affluent. You would have had lots of resources and money. And so she could have given uh, freely to the church to help it. And she was from Thyatira. If you remember, right now we're in Philippi. We're not in Thyatira. So she's a traveler. She's a business person. She has connections. She meets people everywhere she goes. She, she has lots of connections with people that will help to bring more people to the gospel. She's a person of peace for Paul. She's also a host. She says, come to my house. Live with me. Let me provide for you while you're here and doing the Lord's work. And she's a ministry partner. Because she was affluent, she probably had a very large house. And the large houses then always had big meeting rooms and big meeting areas. And this is most likely her house is where Paul starts and plants the first new church in Philippi. And that new church in Philippi, Philippi becomes um, the, the, the launching pad to reach the whole region to plant churches all over Macedonia and down into Greece. And this becomes a big spot where Paul launches out more ministry, and it's all because of Lydia. In Paul's wildest imagination, he could not have planned this, right? He didn't know about Lydia. He didn't know about Macedonia. He didn't know, like, this is all God's plan. God led him to a glorious new opportunity, and Paul just had to step into it. When things change, when God changes the plan, we need to be looking for the opportunities that he has for us because they're so much greater than anything that we could have planned in the first place. You know, this past year has been a, a year full of unforeseen opportunities for our church. Obviously, the biggest one was adapt, adopting the church at Afton into our congregation and, and getting the blessing of having our own building. And it's been awesome to see that happen. But I don't think any of us expected the massive change the massive change in the plan that came only two weeks after the adoption. COVID-19 came in like a flood and changed everything. Who would have dreamed that right after God gives us a building, we wouldn't be able to use it? 
<laughs> like, you, can, you, can't, you can't plan this stuff. This is obviously God doing something. And when, at first glance, that current situation could be depressing, discouraging, disheartening. It could be frustrating. Like, this is the time we're supposed to be moving and shaking and getting in the building and growing and continuing to, to serve the Lord. And, but obviously, God has a different plan right now. And that's okay. He hasn't fully shown us what that plan is yet, but he has a plan. And let me just tell you, friends, it's going to be awesome. Because all God's plans are plan A's. They may, may not seem that way to us, but it is, it is, this is God's plan A. He is doing this. He knows exactly what he's doing. And whatever outcome he brings is going to be awesome for him and for the kingdom and for us. And so we're just going to press in. We're just going to wait on the Lord and so while we're waiting on the next step of his plan, what do we need to do? We need to listen. We need to hold fast to what he's called us to right here, right now. And we need to look for unforeseen opportunities. They are all around you. Right now, you have opportunities with your family to disciple your family and to, to love on them that you haven't had before because everyone's there together. Right now, you have opportunities with your friends and your neighbors who don't know the Lord, who are looking for hope that you can love and you can serve them well. They would not have been open to that before. Right now, you have opportunities to love and serve our community and our church in ways that we've never seen before. There are opportunities all around us, and none of this is a surprise to God. None of this is a mistake in his plan. This is exactly what he's doing right now. And so our question isn't, God, why are you doing this? Our question is, God, where are the opportunities? Where can we step into this for you? To understand Jesus' plan, I have to be willing to step into unforeseen opportunities for the kingdom. What opportunities is God preparing around you right now? With your family and friends, with your neighbors, with your church family, with your community, what opportunities is he giving you? Take time this week to pray about that. Ask God to open your eyes so you can see the new opportunities all around you. And step into those. Open your hands, release your plans to the Lord, and let him go before you and do something great. Quit trying to pull at all the strings on the bottom of the tapestry. And let him show you the beautiful picture. Because as I said at the beginning, my plans for Jesus are never as good as his plans for me. Let's lay down our plans and pick up God's plans and follow him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we just praise you this morning. We're so thankful to be able to gather and worship. And thank you, Lord, for meeting with us. Thank you for leading us this morning to worship you, even um, as we are gathered in our homes. Lord, thank you for your perfect and glorious plan for our lives, for our church, for our world. God, you do so much. Lord, we, we are blessed by you in so many ways. Lord, we want to hear you. We want to follow you. We want to serve you, and we want to, to, to follow your plan. So right now, Lord, lead us. Lead us, Lord. We trust you. We trust in you. We trust in your plans, we, not our own. God, we trust you, the sovereign Lord, over all of us. Lead us now. Pray all of this. In Christ's name, amen.